Well, welcome to the preaching of the word this morning. The cost and the consequences of carnality. Other v- words that you could use to describe this time, sidetracked in the sand, wandering in the wilderness, pitfalls on life's pathway, hardships and for hardened hearts. Either of those, all of them, can explain what happens to those that don't walk as the Lord wants them to. Now, God did not inspire the Old Testament just so that we could read it as a history book. He gave it for their, the Old Testament saints, and for our, the New Testament saints, admonition. Listen to what Romans says in chapter 15 and verse 4. For whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. There's also another portion that we could read in relation to this. as in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In fact, there are three major portions in the New Testament that speak about the occasion of the children of Israel in the wilderness as an example for us that we might learn from their mistakes and not learn at our own mistakes. And that's in Hebrews 3, 1 Corinthians 10. Well, one's in the Old Testament, Psalm 106. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, And verse 6, we read this. Now these things were in samples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And in the context, it's speaking about these people out here in the wilderness after leaving Egypt. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 10, it reads, Now these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends are of the world are come so these things are written for us so we can't say and dismiss them and say oh that was the Israelites that's just history no it is history but it's history for our learning history for our admonition written for our examples written for our admonition now if you work out how many Jewish people came out we don't have the exact figure but it talks about men and how many of them come out and And then you had the children, you had the wives. There were a lot of them, were millions. At least two million people came out, plus the animals that came out with them. And on this occasion, it says that their carcasses would fall in the wilderness because of their rebellion at Kadesh Barnea to go in and take the land with Caleb and Joshua. He said, let's go, the other Eight spies said, ten spies said, no, we can't take over. They're too big. There's giants in the land. And they murmured against Moses and against Joshua and against Caleb. And it reads in chapter 14 of Numbers and verse 22, because all these men who have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, have tempted me. Now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice. And so that's God's opinion of them. They tempted him these ten times. Now if you start figuring out that maybe two-third of the older generation, all those who were what, 20 or above 20, were going to die in the wilderness over the next 40 years, 
And you figure that out, if there was 1.3 million or 1.2 million of them, there's about 85 to 90 souls, people would die per day to add up to that many over those, that, those 40 years. So there was constant funerals, constant mourning. And they had to wait till the last one of those died before they could go into the promised land. So it's quite an occasion, quite a lesson to learn. There's, it's significant. These committed what we would call in the New Testament a sin unto death. In the book of 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 and 18, we read, And if any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life. For them that sin not unto death. So Christians do sin. Other Christians pray for them, that they, don't, that they get out of the, the, the clutches of the sin that they're involved with. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he should pray for it. And so there's ones that are unto death and there's ones that are not unto death. All unrighteousness is sin, it reads on. There is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and the wicked one toucheth him not. And so here we have mention of this sin. These people committed a sin unto death. God said you've gone too far. And there are occasions in the New Testament where that is spoken about. And a Corinthian church was told to deal with the brother that was uh, sinning, uh, committing Adultery, fornication, with in in First Corinthians fifteen, and the Lord said to the church there, Paul said to the church, and the Lord said it through him, that deliver him unto Satan, that his body might be destroyed. There is Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter five, that also committed a sin unto death, as they lied to the apostles there in in what they had sold and what they had given. God does want a pure people. God wants us to walk in righteousness and holiness. And God's desire all his, all his saints to walk in sanctification, in victory, and into the promised land. He does not want us to wander around in the wilderness, not knowing where we're going and when we're going to get there. He wants us to be in Canaan, there, enjoying the sanctification that he gives us as we surrender to him. One of the portions that we do have that talks about these people in the wilderness and the rest that they forfeited is in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, the end of it, and Hebrews chapter 4. And God wants his children to be sanctified. He, he wants his children not to be griping and grizzling and moaning about the situations they're in in life. He wants them to be victorious. He wants them to walk in the rest of the Lord. Now there are several rests that we find here in the scriptures. And here in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11, the last part of it, he says, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. That is, they will be without rest and they'll fall after the example. And Paul is reminding the Hebrews that they shouldn't be that way. 
the same example of unbelief. In chapter 4 of Hebrews and verse 3, it reads this. It tells us, For we who have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, though their works were finished from the foundation of the world. This rest is salvation rest. Israel was delivered from Egypt, from the world. We have been delivered from the world. When we get saved, we're delivered from the world. We're not a part of the world anymore. We're part of a world to come. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so Israel's deliverance there from Egypt. You remember the Passover, the night the firstborn died. And that day, the next day, the, the Egyptians told them to get out of there. And they fled Egypt. And anyone that's trusted the Lord Jesus Christ has fled the world. And they have the rest of salvation. The rest that we know that our sins are forgiven. The rest that we know that we're sealed into the body of Christ. The rest that we know that we are eternally saved and we cannot lose our salvation. This is salvation rest that's mentioned there in Hebrews 4 and verse 3. We can enter into that. We do when we get saved. They entered into that when they left Egypt. So that's for the unsaved. There is salvation rest. There is also Sabbath rest that we're not dealing with here, where the Lord gave a particular day for the Jewish people, get that, Jewish people, to have a day of rest. And it tells us in Exodus chapter 31, verse 12 and verse 17, specifically that that day of rest, the Sabbath day, is for the nation of Israel, not for the church. Some would try to say that it's for today. There is a ism that we have around, even in town here, that practice that, that meet on the seventh day. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and then what did he say? And I will give you rest. If there is anyone listening today, if you want rest, if you want the knowledge of the security of eternity, come to the Lord. He's got his arms open and welcoming us through the grace and his mercy to come and enter into his rest. I will give you rest, salvation rest, this Sabbath rest for the Jewish people. There is Canaan rest, Canaan rest. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 11 Um, chapter 3, verse 11. We'll go to there first. Chapter 3, verse 11. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. That was the rest that they were promised if they were victorious and didn't wander around in the wilderness and went into the promised land into Canaan. A lot of our hymns and that in our book, when it talks about the river of uh, death, we pass into Canaan, but that's not the case. It's it's the case of we we pass over the river to a victorious Christian life. See, in Canaan, they were still fighting. There's still battles. That doesn't happen if we get to heaven. Heaven is not Canaan. Heaven is a victorious Christian. Canaan is a victorious Christian life that we need to be living. Canaan rests. For the saved, there is submission to the Lord and victory in him. And we need to enter into that rest. It says in Hebrews 4.11 this time, Let us labour therefore to enter into that rest, 
lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Let's labour to enter into that rest. Let's do the right thing. Let's work for the Lord. Let's sanctify ourselves and separate unto the Lord. There's Canaan rest. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In the book of Romans chapter 6, it's all about yielding to the Lord and living a sanctified life. Romans 6, 7 and 8 are all about that. And how we can have the victory now and we can have the rest of God. We, can have, we know that we have the peace of God and we can be at peace with God in our Christian life. But those who are carnal, yeah, Christians who are living like the world, like they used to live down in Egypt, they don't have this rest. And they're the ones that are in the wilderness wandering around and I don't know which way's up and which way's down and which way's forward uh, and, and, and the victorious Christian life. And Paul said in Romans 6, Yield yourselves unto the Lord, unto God, as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Yield yourself unto God. Christians, we need to know the rest of the Lord that he gives us. We need to know that we're walking in his will, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Ephesians tells us that. And, and don't waste our time redeeming the time in the same context, knowing what God's will is. Don't be wasting your time in, in your Christian life. Once you've been brought out of Egypt, you need to enter Canaan into the victorious Christian life. There's so many, so many just as in Israel, Christians today that are wandering around and not having the victory and the rest of Canaan in their life. Then there is the future rest, the future rest. And this is a rest of service. And we have this mentioned in verse 9 of Hebrews 4. There remains therefore a rest to the people of God. One day we'll enter into rest. When we have a funeral, we'll say this, this person that has passed is at rest. They're no longer striving with sin and the old flesh and the body. They're at rest. But eternity will bring the wonderful rest of the Lord. And we're to labour to enter into that future rest. Sebastimos is the word. <laughs> A keeping of Sabbath, it's, meant, it's uh, interpreted as. The only New Testament use of this word. Heavenly rest. When all our labours and trials and battles are owed, the song writer put it, <laughs> and we enter into the rest of heaven. We may rest from our labours. And in Revelation 14 and verse 13, it says exactly that, that they may rest from their labours. Those who have died and passed into eternity, who were believing people, they rest from their labours and their works do follow them. That is, when the Lord opens the books and judges the Christians at the beamer seat of Christ, then the book is opened and the works are there recorded and their works do follow them. For the Christian, it is so that when we enter into eternal rest, our works do follow us. You can read right through that portion and you'll find other where the other verses where the word rest is used in Hebrews chapter 4 and chapter 3. I believe also that the Lord is going to give this world a rest as well. This isn't one we haven't got in our outline, but in Romans chapter 8 there, it talks about 
the whole cre creation groaning and travailing and together until now, until the manifestation of the sons of God, God's people in heaven, and then he will give this world a rest. You know, if it's a Sabbath rest, it could be just around the corner because there has been 6,000 years already in 1996 is when they say 6,000 years was up as far as the world's from creation to then. And uh, we're in, as it were, the 7,000th seventh, the seventh year. You could say a Sabbath in thousands. And uh, I think it's neither. God is going to give this world a break, <laughs> give the, the creation a break, as it is in Romans chapter 8. But Christians, we're labouring, working today to enter into that rest. We should be in Canaan, in the, winning the victories, winning the battles, winning over the enemy. But we shouldn't be in the wilderness where these Jews were. And ten times they're complaining and groaning about their situation. We certainly shouldn't be in the world. We're not Christians if we're still in the world in Egypt. We need to be saved and we need to move on. Looking back at the nation of Israel, what rest had they experienced when they were in the desert? The only rest they had experienced by that time was a salvation rest. This, the uh, one where the Passover had been given, they'd been redeemed by the blood, the blood had been applied, and they were out of Egypt, out of Egypt. But now they were being sidetracked, they were wandering, they were stuck in a pothole. They were suffering the hardships of the desert. Why? Because of their disbelief. Because of their murmuring. Because of their not letting go of the world. Because of their faithlessness. Because of their idolatry. Because of their lusting. Because of their complaining. And all these words are used in the context of the Old Testament. Where we get our, our verses from this morning. These are the things that hold God's blessings back. These are the things that keep us in the desert that we are going to begin to look at. These are the things that hold us from entering into the rest in Canaan, sanctifying rest. These are the things that stop souls being saved and our children to be put at peril. These are the things that cause us to die in the desert and their carcasses fell in the wilderness. These are the things that cause trouble in the camp in the church. These are the things that grieve God and cause his judgment to fall upon us. In 1 Corinthians 11.31 For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. Yes, doing what they did is a great warning to us not to do the same thing, an example to us. And they were judged of the Lord. Let's not be there. Let's move on in our Christian life. Let's look just for, at one of these today. Let's turn to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 14, where our reading was from this morning. And go through... This portion of scripture, this is Exodus chapter 14. Here we read in verse 3 and 5, or 3 to 5, of Pharaoh's purpose. 
This is their salvation from Egypt. We find, first of all, of Pharaoh's purpose, the world's purpose upon those that would escape it. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he shall follow after them. And I will be honoured, this is in verse 4, upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled in The heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people and they said, we have, why why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. See, the Egyptians said, what? Now we're going to have to work. Now we're going to have to make the bricks ourselves. Now we're going to have to gather the straw ourselves. We're going to have to do the hard labor that these, our, our slaves have done. Let's go out and get them again. Let's not let this happen. You know, he'd already had ten plagues. And the last one, the dramatic one, was where the firstborn of all those that didn't have the blood applied died. And so Pharaoh's purpose was, no, we're not going to let this happen. He seemed to be convinced a few times and then turned and changed his mind not to let God's people go. Folks, the the world and the devil do not want to let people go to know the Lord. The devil is very upset when one of his turns to the Lord and becomes one of the Lord's. And his purpose is to blind the minds of those that don't believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them and that they should be saved. And if you're not a Christian and you're listening in today, You're duped by the devil. You're his child. Ephesians chapter 2 says it very clearly. And it says also in Ephesians 4 that we were once children of darkness, but now we're children of light. And devil does not want you to get saved. He wants you to go to where he's going to and where he's assigned to hell forever. Don't be duped by him. Pharaoh's purpose was to keep them as slaves and that is a person that's not a Christian is a slave in Egypt and then in verses 6 through to 9 we have Pharaoh's pursuit and he made ready his chariot and took his people with him and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and and captains over every one of them and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh the king of Egypt and he pursued after the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with a high hand they, took the, they despoiled the Egyptians. And the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped by the sea beside Philhathroth. Pharaoh's pursuit. Listen, when you become a Christian, when you exodus, exit Egypt, exit the world, the devil's after you. You see, you're his friend before that, but once you've left, you're his enemy and he's going to pursue you. And by, he gives us a hard time, those who have left, those who are Christians, those who try to serve the Lord, those who want to be victorious in Canaan, winning the battles. He pursues after them. If you're a Christian not doing anything and grumbling and complaining, you're not going to have the devil after you. He's not going to be breathing down your neck. He's going to be pleased with the Christian that's doing nothing or, or doing something good that's not the best. 
So Pharaoh's pursuit, the world pursues the believer. Satan pursues them. And then we see in verse 10, Israel's perplexity. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. New Christians, can, this can happen to you, and even older Christians or Christians that are living a carnal life, this can happen. We can see, oh no, the devil's after me, and the world's after me. The armies are spread all round, and I, I won't be able to win. Hey, greater is he that is in you, the Lord, than he that is in the world, the devil. We can have the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be perplexed like the Jewish people were there in verse 10. And then we see their protest, Israel's protest in verse 11 and 12. And they said unto Moses, because there is no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? And so the situation is dire. Behind them are the Egyptians, before them is a sea, and they can't swim across it. They're stuck. And they can't go sidewards. They're cornered. They're hemmed in. And so they protested. Is not this the word in verse 12 that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Oh, what a dread thing to say. I want to go back to the world. I want to be like I used to be. I want to enjoy what I used to enjoy. I don't care if there's hell when I die. It had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in this wilderness. No, it's not. (laughs) No, it wasn't. And we see then Moses' proclamation in verses 13 and 14. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He will show to you this day. For the Egyptians shall, for the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. What is this murmuring? What is this complaining? What is this gripe they had here? The griping of fearfulness. They were displaying fearfulness and not faith. They weren't believing as they should believe. New Christian, believe. The Lord is able. He's able to deliver thee. And you need to believe that in the circumstances of life as you face them. And as I've faced them for years. You need to know that the Lord will deliver you and he will meet your need. He will provide and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. What a saying. So here, Moses' proclamation, stand still. The Lord will fight for you. And uh, the Lord said in verse 15, Unto Moses, wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Get on with it, mate. If you know what to do, do it. Go into the battle, win it, move forward. Lift up thy rod, in verse 16, and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea. Then we see, sixthly, the Lord's preeminence here, displayed to the people of Israel and to Egypt. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of Egyptians, and they shall shall follow them, and I will get me honour. Upon Pharaoh, and upon his host, and upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and I have gotten me honour upon Pharaoh, and upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. 
So in verse 17 and 18, the Lord's preeminence, they will know. I don't know who went back and reported to back your hometown Egypt and, uh, or home country Egypt what happened to all their army and their, their men and their fighters and their chariots. Even today, I've seen pictures. There's pictures being taken of the place. It's believed that the, the Jewish people crossed the sea there with all the, the chariot wheels and there are still some chariot wheels all covered with barnacles in the sea, under the sea there at this time. This is, we're talking thousands, of, what, 3,000 or more so years ago. And so it's still a testimony today to these things of the Lord's preeminence over the world, over Egypt. We are God's children. We have the victory. We're, we've already, the Lord's won the victory for us. We know the promises will come to pass. And we see the Lord's protection in verse 19 and 20. And the angel of the Lord went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. The one that was, he was before, he went behind them. And a pillar of cloud went from before the face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of the Israelis. Israelis and it was a cloud of darkness to them, and it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And so we see the Lord's protection. The Lord protects his people. <laughs> Wonderful thought. We read on. The Lord's power then is displayed in verse 21 to 24, and verses 15 through to 16. <laughs> but 21, and Moses stretched out, his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all the night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand unto the left, a wall of water. Like being in an aquarium where you see the water and the sharks and the fish swimming around, the kids poke at them and look at them. I don't know if they did that, but they were on the move that night, and they went through the sea, the Lord there, and his power is displayed. When you read that, and then you read about what happened to them just a bit later, and all their griping and grizzling and complaining, you say, why? Why when they had such miracles happen, the ten plagues going through the sea here, and then they complained and complained and they griped? I mean... Why do we complain when we know that we have salvation? We've got eternity to spend with the Lord. And we see his power displayed. We see his protection in our lives. We see his preeminence. We see how he answers prayer. Let's be faithful and not fearful of the things. And verse, going over to verse 26, well, the Egyptians are saying to do it in the verses between there. Went into the sea, said, well, we can do it, they can do it, we can do it. Wall of water. You'd, you'd question their wisdom on this one. And, the, and they, the Lord troubled the host of the Egyptians in verse 24, 25, and took off the chariot wheels, and they drove them heavily. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of, the, of, of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. They recognized it. I should, the, the Jews should have too. But we see Pharaoh's plight. In verses 25 to 28, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea and over the waters, that they may come again upon the Egyptians and upon the chariots and upon the horsemen. 
as Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea turned to its strength, when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the host of Pharaoh that came in into the sea after them, there remained not so much as one of them. There was, there was not one of them left, and so there was no one to tell them, but they went looking for them from Egypt. Where are our horsemen? Where, are our, uh, where is our army? <laughs> where are our chariots? But there's not one of them. And the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on the right hand and on the left hand. And so we see Pharaoh's plight. You know, one day when we're in heaven, we'll look back and say, why didn't I believe? Why was I fearful? Why was I not faithful? Why didn't I trust the Lord? That goes for me, it goes for you. That as Christians, we need to believe that God is able, but he wants us to exercise faith, that he might show us that he's able even more so in his provisions of our lives. And the last point there in verse 29 to 31, Israel's preservation. And the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now we've not seen miracles like this happen. But then they feared the Lord. If only they had kept fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And they believed the Lord. Uh Fear and belief. Let's have faithfulness. And the fear of the Lord, but not the fear of man. The fear of man is not what God wants us to have. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. First, uh, Second Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hebrews 13.5 and 6 I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my help. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear. First John 4.18 Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Let's read in Matthew 10 and verse 26. It says there, Fear them not therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, hidden that shall not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear in the ear, that preach upon the housetops. So, folks, we are fearful of men. We don't tell people because we fear their faces. In verse 28, And fear not them who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul, soul and body in hell. Fear not, therefore, verse 31, You have more value than many sparrows, as he gave that illustration there. Folks, we need to fear the Lord. We need to have faith in the Lord. We should not be faithless, but faithful, believing that God is able to do it. He's proved it. He's given us this example. And this is their first gripe and complaint, but their whinge, we might say. But God is telling them and teaching them to be fearless and to be faithful. 
You know, without faith, we cannot know the Lord. We need to trust and believe in him. In Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 3, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left to us of entering into his rest, any of you should come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached to them in the wilderness, the word preached through the Passover, did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we who have believed do enter into rest. You know, we need to enter into that rest. We need to believe by faith. And we know that in the book of Hebrews it tells us that without faith it's not possible to please God. The just shall live by faith. And if any man draw back, this is Hebrews 10.38, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And the verse I've just partly quoted is verse 6 of chapter 11. Without faith it's impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Yes, learn from their example. Don't be fearful, but be fearless and be people of faith. We haven't seen the Lord. We've seen him by faith. Our eyes have beheld him in the word. If you're not a Christian, you have to have faith to believe. And you can read through the portion there in Hebrews 10 and 11 and back in chapter 4 to see the faith that you you should have I pray that you do have it as Christians you've been delivered from Egypt go forward in faith get out of the wilderness go to Canaan and live the victorious Christian life let's pray thank you Lord for your word thank you for your encouragement thank you for this example and Lord it's so true it's so real that Lord today we are fearing men we fear the media we fear the faces of the unsaved but we need not we need to have faith in the lord that the lord will give us the victory and the would testify for you more and more as we see the day approaching warning people to flee from the wrath to come give us faith to preach the word as it was preached to them back there faith to believe the word minister to us save the soul that's not saved the young person that doesn't know you may they know you today and get out of Egypt on the way to the eternal blessing of rest in Jesus name we pray amen